Great Commission brought you about, learned together this morning. You know, when we think about the purpose of the church being the Great Commission, we maybe initially, we, our tendency is to think it's just impossible. It is impossible. But only through the power of the Holy Spirit residing within us is it possible. Scriptures tell us that it is the church that will fulfill the Great Commission. And the church is you and I. We're the called out ones. We are the family of God. We have been called on mission to share the story of hope to those who have no hope. And with this message from the video that we watched, as we think about the Great Commission and that the church is going to fulfill the Great Commission, we really need to ask ourselves, personally ask ourselves the question, God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do, God? I am the church. What do you personally want me to do? We, we know what God wants us to do collectively as the body of Christ, but as we, and if you would, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to 3 John, book of 3 John. It's at the end of the, end of the book, First and Second, Third John, Jude and Revelation in your Bible. I want you to approach this next bit of time that we spend together with that question in mind, asking the question with, with a heart attitude of, Lord, what, however you speak to my heart in regards to this question, I will follow, I will obey, I will do what you asked of me. God, what do you want me to do? Here in the book of 3 John, follow along as I read. I'm going to read the first eight verses. It says here, I'm reading from the New King James translation, the elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health, just as your soul prospers. For I rejoice greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you, just as you walk in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Beloved, you do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers who have borne witness of your love before the church. If you send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God, you do well. Because they went forth for his name's sake, taking nothing from the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such that we may become fellow workers for the truth. In Jesus, we pray that you would minister to our hearts. Holy Spirit, would you teach us, illuminate our minds with your, with your, with your truth. May we... May you bring us understanding and clarity as we open up your word. And we ask that, Father God, that you would speak to our hearts as we ask you this question, God, what do you want me to do? And may our hearts be receptive to what, what you tell us. May we listen. May we listen well. <clears throat> In Jesus' name I pray, amen. <clears throat> Here. The Apostle John wrote 3 John to a man named Gaius in part to commend him for his, his expressions of love toward, toward fellow ministers of the gospel. Evidently, some itinerant missionaries had been sent out 
by John's church and had returned now to give a report about how well Gaius had treated them. Here in these verses, as I've looked at them, thought about them, I find that there are two categories of Christians that John mentions here in verses 1 through 8. Two categories of Christians. The first are those whom he identifies in verse 5 and 6 as brethren and strangers. These brethren and strangers here is what I call, these are Christian missionaries. Christian missionaries are those who have left home to carry the gospel uh, of Christ to others. These Christian missionaries, also we, can, we, we label them as goers. They're going with the gospel to people who have yet to hear the gospel. Christian missionaries, goers. And then there's the second category here, and it is represented by Gaius himself. He stands as an example of, and listen to the play on words here. I'm flipping the words around. He represents missionary Christians. Missionary Christians are those who send Christian missionaries who are going. I want you to think a little bit, so that's why I'm kind of twisting things around. Think with me. Stay with me. Christian missionaries go and tell people who have yet to hear, and missionary Christians are those who send, they are senders of those who are going. Okay, are you still with me? All right, hang in there. These two different categories of believers highlight for us a very important missiological axiom, and here it is. Not every believer is called to be a Christian missionary, a goer. May I add, yet. But every follower of Jesus Christ must be a missionary Christian, a sender. As children of God, being a part of God's family, believers of Jesus Christ, we are either a Christian missionary or a missionary Christian. We're either going or we're sending those who are going. There's two things we can learn about being goers and senders from John's letter here. So follow along with me in your Bible. First, Christian missionaries, they go in close relationship with the church. Very close relationship with the church. They, they do not go out as lone rangers. I'm just, they're just going to go out on their own, do their own thing uh, without anybody working alongside of them. We don't find that anywhere in Scripture, the lone ranger principle. The young maverick. God does everything through his church. And uh, John here learns of Gaius' wonderful work through the testimony of the missionaries who were reporting to the church here in verse 6. You know, the significance of this relationship is made very clear for us in Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through, um, 1 through 5. Where there, Saul and Barnabas, they have just returned from Jerusalem. The, the church at Antioch has sent Saul and Barnabas back to Jerusalem. You'll find this in chapter 12 of, of Acts uh, because there had been a famine in Jerusalem. And so Saul and Barnabas, on behalf of the church plant, Antioch was a church plant from the mother church in Jerusalem, sent them back to minister, to serve, to teach, that sort of thing. Now they have, they have returned. And they're, re they're reporting to the church. They're all that was taking place. They were they were meeting there with the leaders of the church, with the church itself, 
And in verse 2, it tells us there in Acts chapter 13 that the Holy Spirit said to the church, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul to the work which I have already called them. And as we mentioned in Sunday school this morning, this is a twofold call, a call to the church to set apart Barnabas and Saul, missionary Christians, to send, that's, that's the church, to send Barnabas and Saul to whom the Holy Spirit had already called to go. So you have this goers and senders principle right here that we follow that pattern, that model even today. The church at Antioch is a good biblical model for what a sending church looks like and does. That's what, uh, that's what we uh, seek to practice as well, to be a biblical uh, a church. And um, it was the Holy Spirit that, that's, that called out Barnabas and Saul to go, but also it was the Holy Spirit that sent them out as well as in verse 3 of Acts chapter 13. I mean, you can study this later on your own, but in verse, verse 3 it says the church sent them forth. There is mutual ministry here. It's not just the missionaries' ministry. It's not just, it's not just their ministry alone. It's the church. You have a ministry part, a role in this as well. So missionaries are sent by the church, not Christian missionaries, that is, goers sending themselves. And we even find in, in chapter, Acts chapter 14 that, um, um, I'll just tell you what it says to try to find it. It says in Acts chapter 14 in verses 26 and 27 that Barnabas and Saul, they came back from the first missionary journey, and where did they go? They went right back to the church at Antioch, and they gave a report of what all God, what, what all God had done. They were accountable the church family. They were, they were accountable to their, to their local assemblies there, there in Antioch. So Christian missionaries go in close relationship with the church. Secondly, Christian missionaries go for the sake of Christ's name. In verse 7, we see this uh, uh, played out for us there in verse, verse 7. John tells here of the motivation of the goer's work. Verse 7, they went forth for his name's sake. Why would Christian missionaries, these goers that are going out with the gospel, to those who have yet to hear the gospel, why would, they, why, would they, why would they leave home? Why would they leave family? Why would they leave friends, the comforts for the unfamiliar? Why would, why would anyone ever do that? They go for the sake of Christ's name. They, they, sent, they went forth for his name's sake. That's why they go in the name of Jesus Christ. To follow Jesus means giving or living your life for the sake of his name. Paul's whole life as a missionary was lived for the glory of God's name. When he was confronted with the prospect of, of uh, suffering and persecution, Paul declares this in Acts chapter 21, verse 13. Listen to this. He says, I am ready not only to be, about, uh, not only to be bound but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christian missionaries go for the sake of Christ's name. That's who should go. That's who you should send out as Christian missionaries from your church. Those who, who go for the sake of, of Christ's name. Those who have already shown a jealousy for the name of Jesus Christ in their holiness, in their devotion, in their walk, in their service, in their time, in, in their resources. So a call to be a missionary does not mean a change of passion. 
It just means, simply means a change of location and circumstances in pursuing that passion. Churches should send only missionaries who have an, an observable love for the name of Jesus Christ. They are charged to carry that same passion to the people to whom they have been called to take it to. So they must remember the name. There's a third thing here. Christian missionaries go in close relationship with the local church, but they also go for the sake of Christ's name. And thirdly here, Christian missionaries go as workers for the truth. Verse 8 brings that out for us here. Workers for the truth are a fellow helpers for the truth. Goers are stewards, messengers, messengers taking the truth of people groups who, who do not yet have the gospel. And they must be diligent. Christian missionaries who are going must be diligent students themselves of God's word to assure that their message is accurately, accurately communicated. The mission field is no place for doubters and skeptics. They must believe the word. You've got to believe the word. Now, you remember the missiological axiom I gave you just uh, five or minutes ago or so? Here it is again. Let me remind you. Not every believer is called to be a Christian missionary, a goer. But every follower of Christ, of Jesus Christ, must be a missionary Christian, a sender. You're either going or you're sending. There's, there's no in-between in here. So, missionary Christians send. John here encourages Gaius, in verse 6, to send them, that is the missionaries, forward on their journey. So as in the case with the first missionary journey from Antioch, those who, those who uh, did not go, they sent. They sent. So the question here is, how should missionary Christians, and I would say that's about all of us except this one couple up here on the front row that we know of right now. There may be others that God's speaking to, talking to, even in this congregation. Uh, to go. Right now I'm speaking to, I don't know how many is here, minus the two over here that God has called to be Christian missionaries as goers. So listen up, church family. You are missionary Christians. You are to be senders of those to whom he has called to be a goer. So how should we, the church, Eastside Baptist Church, missionary Christians, how should we send out our Christian missionaries? A couple of ways I want to point out to you. First is we send them filled with love. Filled with love. Look here in verse uh, 5 and 6. John commends Gaius for his love. His love which he, which he heard about from the report of others. And we're taught all through Scripture that Christians should be characterized by love. And that begins first with our love for God. Do you love God? I mean, do you really love God this morning? We should be characterized by that love from God because the love for God will ensure that we send out our missionaries in a manner worthy of God. Verse 6. We are to send them out in a manner that's worthy of Him. And whenever we are in love with Him, we are doing well in sending out our missionaries filled with love. Second, secondly, not only love for God, but love for the brethren. And here in context, we're speaking of missionaries. 
his brethren and strangers, those that are going out for the sake of Christ's name. If we, as we love God, he fills our cup till it's full and running over and it splashes on those all around us. And from that love for the brethren, those that are going out for the sake of Christ's name, it will cause us to take serious interest in them. We give, we pay close attention and we have a serious interest in those whom we love, don't we? We'll do all we can for them because we love them. And that love comes from God to give to others. If we have a love for God and a love for His servants, the brethren, these Christian missionaries that are going, we won't have to, we won't, we won't be concerned about investing in them. And I'm speaking monetarily, finances. We won't have any trouble being involved with them and caring for them, encouraging them, communicating with them, praying, praying continually for them and providing resources. We won't have any problem because the love of God in us causes us to love them. But then there's another aspect here of love. We need to have a love. We need to be filled with love for the world, the world for whom Christ died. We must be filled with love to fulfill the calling to be a missionary Christian, a sender. But my friends, love is not enough. Love's not enough. Zeal for world missions is no excuse for being weak on truth. And so Christian missionaries need to send not only filled with love, but committed to the truth ourselves. We expect that from our Christian missionaries. And uh, who, who, are, who are going. But we also need to be committed to the truth ourselves, you and me. Those who sin, we need to be committed to God's revealed truth as those who are, who are going. And John here in verse 8 recognized this quality in Gaius <clears throat> and encourages him to become a fellow worker with missionaries, fellow helper with the truth in verse 8. Now, how do we cultivate this? church family. How do we cultivate uh, uh, being committed more to the truth, understanding the truth? Go back to verse 3, and it gives you a little bit of a hint here, where it says the latter, latter part of verse 3, the last four words there, where it says, you walk by We've been called on mission too, to share that same that same truth. We need to walk in truth. We need to be steadfast. We need to uh, to uh, practice devotion. We need to be in God's word ourselves every day. We need to be praying and talking with our Father ever throughout the day, every day. We need to be growing. We need to be going deeper in our own relationship with Jesus Christ. So, church family missionary Christians, those of us who are senders. Love and truth make for a spiritually potent combination. It really does. With both, it, it, it proves beneficial for meeting the needs of those who, who are going. So, you're either going or you're sending. There's no in-between here. There, there, there's no other role here. Has God called you to go? Then go. If He hasn't yet, He's called you to send. Send, send well. You know, we have, um, we have all been called to be engaged in a mission. 
if you have placed your, thought, uh, your, your trust and faith in Jesus Christ alone for your eternal life, you're part of the family of God. And immediately, by being a part of the family of God, you have been given a command to go and make disciples, to share your faith, to pass it on. The hope that was within you, there are those who are looking for what you have, and we are to share that. We are to make disciples. And we all have been called to do that, not just those who are going. You and I who are sitting here today, we need to be engaged. We need to be obedient because we have been called on mission. Imagine this week you get a phone call. And that phone call, you learn that you have been, you have been appointed as a foreign ambassador to represent your country, America, the USA. And immediately you have these, you have these uh, thoughts of prestige, political clout, exotic travels. And uh, serving as an ambassador, an ambassador for, for your country, for another country, is indeed a distinguished honor. But it also carries enormous responsibility. Enormous responsibility. I want you to go with me to... 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. <clears throat> the Apostle Paul makes this astounding declaration here in verse 20 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that we, we, those who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ alone, we are ambassadors for Jesus Christ. Hey, we are all ambassadors sitting here. If you know Christ, if you embrace Jesus and his finished work on the cross, and you are his child, you are an ambassador. You are an ambassador of Jesus. What an awesome assignment, amen? That's an awesome assignment that we have. A lot of responsibility that goes with this assignment. What a high commission to represent the King of Kings and, and, and the Lord of Lords. For me... I became an ambassador of Jesus Christ just as a very young child. My folks uh, were missionaries for a while, and then uh, most of my father's ministry career, he pastored here in the, in the U.S. And the ambassadors that God used in my life are my mom and dad. Introduced me to Jesus. And I, I know God used other ambassadors along the way in, in children's classes, uh, Sunday school, and that sort of thing. But primarily, it was, it was my mom and dad who, who, who God used to be an ambassador to me, to share with me the story of Jesus Christ. Now, what in the world would motivate someone for this task of being an ambassador for Jesus Christ? Well, I want to show you here in this passage of 2 Corinthians Paul's answer to the motivation and the message of an ambassador of Jesus Christ. His motive we find in verses, verses 11 through 15 actually, but this is what motivated Paul. Look, at, look up in verse 11. Paul was motivated for ministry by first off in verse 11 it says, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Now, don't let that word terror, if that's, what, if that's how it's written in, in your translation, um, uh, sidetrack you. It's not being, oh, I'm, I'm totally petrified of the Lord. No, this is this, uh, another way 
that is said here is fear, the fear of the Lord. Knowing, therefore, the fear of the Lord. This means simply that a feeling of awe, of reverence, of His holiness, because of His holiness, being in awe of my Savior, I have that respect. I have that awe about Him. That compelled, that motivated Paul. All about you, that motivates me too as more and more I get to, to know my God. I fall in love with Him more and more. I become more in awe of Him and want to pursue His holiness. Look at verse 14. Not only was Paul motivated for ministry by the fear of the Lord, but he was motivated by Christ's love. Christ's love uh, compelled him. In verse 14, for the love of Christ compels us, he says. The love of Christ compelled him. The love that Christ had for him. And more he understood this love, this sacrificial love. I mean, here Jesus, God's Son, came, to, was born to die, to take care of my sin problem. He loved me that much. And that love compelled him, motivated him to be an ambassador of Christ. And both, both, both of these are, are um, necessary for being involved in the ministry of reconciliation. The fear of God and the love of God is the foundation of true devotion. True devotion, that's, that's, that's a desire for God. That will compel you to share all about him. And the message, he, sh he shares with us what the message of ambassador is down in verse 20. We've already read it. But then he, he says, I'll read it again. Now then, we are ambassadors of Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf. And here is the message. Be reconciled to God. That's the message of an ambassador of Jesus Christ. Be reconciled to God. Reconciliation means to restore friendship. Or, or to restore harmony, a change from enmity to friendship. And this passage here describes God's reconcilia reconciliation that he has provided for us, for you and me. And God took our sin upon himself and became sin for us so we might be able to have a relationship uh, with him. So verse 20 here uh, is our, our responsibility and message as Christ's ambassadors is to plead to people Plead to people to accept God, God's grace. That's Jesus Christ, and to lay aside their enmity. Aren't you glad that someone shared with you the message of reconciliation? Aren't you glad that, that someone was bold enough to share with you the message of Jesus Christ? And just don't, don't have to answer out loud, but, but in your mind, think about this. Who was God's ambassador that he used to bring you into reconciliation with him? Maybe it's more than one. Maybe it's ambassadors. Thank God for them even right now. Let me ask, ask another question. Who will go and share this message of reconciliation to the Russians, to the Muslims all across North Africa, those in uh, those in Africa itself, that's a huge continent. Who's going to be the ambassador to go to the Buddhist in Asia? How about the folks down in South America? Who are going to, who's going to be the ambassador 
to take the message of reconciliation. And let's even bring it closer to home. Who is going to be the ambassador to your family, to your neighbors on either side of you, behind you, in front of you, where you live, your coworkers, people in your neighborhood, in your country? Who's going to be that ambassador? To whom is God calling you? Let's make it really personal now. To whom is God calling you to be an ambassador to? Could it be that God's put you in that place of employment where there are people that have no hope? Maybe he did that by design. Maybe he's calling you to be an ambassador to them or to those neighbors. When my wife and our family moved from northeast Ohio to Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, we prayed that God would give us a neighborhood where our, where our, wherever our house is going to be with lost people all around us. You know, typically you think, oh, I just want, you know, Christians around me. No, we, we pray God put us in your mission field, work in people's lives that will cross our lives, and Lord, we want to be an ambassador for you with the message of reconciliation. Do we think like that? To whom is God calling you to be an ambassador? Who in your life needs God's redemptive work? Here in this passage here, we reminded back up in verse 10 of 2 Corinthians 5 that one day you and I will stand before God and we're going to give an account of our calling as an ambassador. It says there in verse 10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Wow. We're going to give an account of what we've done as an ambassador for Jesus Christ. Paul understood this. Listen to what Paul writes in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6, 7, and 8. It says here, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. How in the world could Paul say this? Given the context, a little bit of the context is this. Paul is under house arrest. He's, I mean, he's in prison. He's getting ready to offer his head to Nero's chopping block, and he says, hey, I have... Go back one. He says, I, you know, he says, I am ready to, 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 to die. I'm, I'm, I'm pouring it out. My departure is, is at hand. He says, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness. How could he say this? Knowing that he's getting ready to die. Let me give you a visual on this. Paul loved that world more than he loved this world. He had more laid up up there than he did down here. He was more popular up there than he was down here. You know, some of us, perhaps, when we die, we're going to have a hard time leaving this place down here because all we've laid up is down here. 
You know, the only thing that you can take to heaven with you is somebody else. That's why you and I have been called to be an ambassador of Jesus Christ. There is a true story about Pastor George Truitt. I don't know if that rings a bell to any of you, probably some of us older folks that will. Uh, Pastor Truitt, Dr. Truitt was the pastor. This goes way back, older than any of us here. 1897 to 1944, he was the pastor of First Baptist Church in Dallas, Texas, a very historic church. And the story goes like this. And Pastor Truett, he was, he was a, a godly man, a, a, a powerful, passionate preacher. He had a love for man, and his, 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 his goal in life was to share with everyone the story of hope, of Jesus. Very evangelistic. And there was a man in his church that, that he was, had been witnessing to and talking with for quite some time, and, this, and he was a rich rancher there in Texas. This rancher invited Pastor Truett out to his ranch for an evening meal, and after the meal, this, this rancher pushed, pushed himself away from the table, and he said, uh, Pastor Truett, come with me. Come on out here on the veranda for us. bigger than my house. I've never lived there. But come out here on the veranda. So they went out there on the veranda and the, the rich uh, rancher pulled out a big cigar, stuck it in his mouth, lit it up, took a deep draw on it, and blew out the smoke in Pastor Truett's direction. And he said, Truett, buddy, look to the east. Far, you see all those white-faced cattle? They're all mine. And look to the west. Far as the eye can see, that's all mine. And look to the north. See all those fir trees? They're all mine. And Pastor Truett, look to the south. See those bulging silos? They're all mine. As the story goes, Pastor Truett had about all he could take at that point. And he said, Sir, look up. I said, look up. I don't care what you have to the east, to the west, to the north or south. I only care what you have up there. Do you have anything up there? And I ask myself this question, and I ask you to ask it for yourself. Do you have anything up there, or is all you have down here? It's a sobering question to answer. When you come to the end of your life, will you be able to say with the Apostle Paul, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And so we come full circle where we began about a half hour ago. God, what do you want me to do? God, what do you want me to do? It's obvious, Lord, that you have called me on mission. What do you want me to do? Well, my friend, if you have yet to place your trust and faith in Jesus Christ alone, that's what God wants you to do. He wants you to accept His Son, Jesus. It's as easy as they say, ABC. Admit your need. Admit that you are a sinner. And because of that sin, you, it's broken fellowship. You, you can't have fellowship with that which is holy. So A, admit that you are a sinner. B, believe in Jesus. 
death on the cross was to pay for your sin, your sin problem. So believe that he died for you for that purpose. And see, confess him. Confess him. It's so it's as easy as ABC. God, what do you want me to do? That's what God wants you to do if you have yet to do that. And he waits with open arms. Come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest that you'll only find in him. For those who us, us who have already placed our trust and faith in Jesus Christ, he wants us to be engaged on mission, actively engaged as an ambassador for him. To be an ambassador. Maybe to go, but surely to send. Are you going or, or not? Then be active as, as, a, as a sender. I want to finish our time. I want to show you another video clip. This story is told um, in, in, in poetic language. It's a fictional account of a young filmmaker as she travels the world, looking at the world through the unblinking lens of her camera. She sees the, she sees the uh, beauty, but also she sees the pain of this world. She sees the destruction. She sees the hope. She sees the, um, the disappointments. And she passionately asks God, why, God, why? Why is mankind in such a mess? Why has God allowed this to happen? And what in the world can be done about it? And God's answer will stir your heart. Watch this with me.
is but a day, a brand new planet. Hot with the fires of creation, life under construction, sales, replication, DNA code, embedded commands of how to grow. Make yourself at home, woman and man. Walk the length of the land. Scale the mountains, run the rivers, drink from the springs, let your free will wander down the pathways of this garden called Eden. But wait, wait, have I got this straight? We gave it all away. We traded it away in a strange transaction. Forging of the first weapons, the spilling of first blood, the trampling and trashing of paradise, blowing the gift to pieces with a bang! So now the need for intensive care, so now the rain for a star strip bear, so now the cities give birth to slums, so now the rifles and suitcase bombs. Why, 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 why? away just when it catches tried and runs free tanks rattle and pound soldiers get cut down never getting to say goodbye why why are kids sleeping out in the cold spreading out their mats on the side of the road down in the dust unable to trust or try with no tears left to cry why How did it feel, God, when you walked this cracked shell of a planet, cried like a broken-hearted child, the perfection of what was supposed to be, up against the brutality of our reality? Hope rises up 
in the cities and the war zones Hope in the courtroom and in the broken home In the seminaries and the cyber highways In the alleys of the homeless and the hungry In the shack settlements and the compounds On the farms where the soil is hard and dry In the streets where the grieving mothers cry Where the A's open Sarah bet the stars Where the captives pound on the cell wall Through the coal mine towns and the factories In the ghettos and the prisons and the cemeteries
here am I.